So we're going to be talking today about people you meet matter from John 4, um, verses 4 to 42. If you want to turn in there, that'll be great. It's a long passage of scripture. I'm not going to read it all because um, it is a long passage of scripture. Scripture. I'm actually going to spend a bit more time on Jesus' words to that Samaritan woman. We're talking about bless the city and reaching out to people around us and making a difference in our environment. And I feel like this is one of the times that Jesus did it in such a profound way. He went after the one. He made a difference in someone's life, life and it resulted in an explosion of people in that area just following Jesus. And I feel something about Jesus is that when he came to earth, this might surprise you. I don't know if you know this, but when Jesus came to earth, he l actually left all his privileges of being God behind. So although he was absolutely God and at any moment he could have picked up his godness, he could have said, ah, just wipe out all these unbelieving people in an instant, bam, and they would have been gone. But he chose to live his life entirely as a human being. But obviously not just an ordinary human being, as a human being inhabited by the Holy Spirit. And the reason he did that is that he wanted to give us an example of what it looks like to be a human being inhabited by the presence of Jesus. Be inhabited by the presence of the Holy Spirit. So at the, his, his life speaks to us of what could be ours. So as we see her, or see him interacting with a Samaritan woman, it can teach us some outstanding things about how to be the light to people around us, how to reach people who are broken and having a tough time around us. Amen. So the story begins, Je Jesus and his disciples have been baptizing people like crazy around Jerusalem. And as a result, the religious leaders are a little irritated. And they start these like murmurings going on and things are not so great. So Jesus decides to take his disciples and go to the north of Israel to kind of just let things simmer down for a while. He knows it's not his time to go to the cross. So he's thinking, let me just go and um, be a little lay a bit low for a moment. And as he's walking with his disciples up to the north of Israel, they pass this particular town. It's called Sychar, S-Y-C-H-A-R. And they pass this town, and while they're there, his disciples head into the town to go and buy some food. Jesus, the Bible says, positions himself next to a very famous well that is outside the city called Jacob's Well. And he goes there, and the Bible says specifically that it was the sixth hour, which is midday. So that's the very hottest time of the day. I don't know if any of you have been to Israel and know just how warm Israel can get. The middle of the day is the time you want to be indoors. No one is outdoors in the middle of the day. And so Jesus walks and he sits there next to the well. We know that Jesus didn't do just random things. He's positioning himself very specifically for something. So he's sitting there and we can read then that this Samaritan woman comes out to the well in the middle of the day. 
We don't know much about her. We don't even know her name. She just arrives at the well. But there are some things that we can understand. Is that if she was coming out to that well in the middle of the day, that was not the normal time that people went to draw water. So this can only mean one thing. That she didn't want to go when everyone else went. We later learn that her life was somewhat substandard to the general general way that people lived. It turns out that she has had five husbands and now she's living with a man who isn't even her husband. It's very likely that she feels shunned by the community in which she lives. And when she's coming out to draw water, she chooses a time when there'll be no one else there because she doesn't want to face the ridicule and the rejection that is so common in her life because of her lifestyle. So here she comes out to this well. And the first thing Jesus says to her, he says this to her, he says, give me a drink. Now that sounds like a very, very, very ordinary statement. But this Samaritan woman who lived in that area, lived among a community, you will hear later how she, she was proud of the fact that her forefathers, that she was descendant of Jacob, that, that her forefather dug this well and that you know, she was of the lineage of the great patriarchs of Israel, which meant that she was very familiar with the scriptures. When Jesus said to her, give me a drink, it sounds like a very ordinary statement. But if you go way back to Genesis 24, you will hear a very similar statement being made by a man who was sent by Abraham to go and find a wife for his son Isaac. He positioned himself at a well also. And when Rebekah came walking there, what did he say to her? Give me a drink. And this was a sign if she gave him a drink, this was a sign that she was to be the one married to Isaac. This Samaritan woman would have been completely familiar with the scenario. And when Jesus said to her, give me a drink, she would have heard it not so much as a request for water. She would have heard it. She would have heard it as an invitation to a wedding. She would have heard it as an invitation to righteousness, to purity. Here is a woman who is, whose life is broken, who has lived badly in this area for a long time. And Jesus says to her, give me a drink. I'm inviting you to a new standard of holiness. I'm inviting you to a new standard of greatness. I'm giving you another chance. You know what I, I'm very certain about is that you live around people who are longing for another chance. I feel like you are living around people who even though they may be not telling you, feel exceptionally ashamed about their past. They're coming out, so to speak, in the middle of the day to draw water. They're kind of keeping parts of their life hidden. They, they wish things had been different. 
They have aspirations that haven't worked out. They, they've longed for things that haven't come to pass. And God is positioning you at these wells, at these places of meeting. And he's asking you, will you extend an invitation to these people? To another start, to a fresh start, to a, a place where they can leave behind the old way of living and they can be united to Jesus. Where they can make him the center of their lives and they can leave behind the other disillusionments and the disappointments of their past. I feel like to some degree each of you are holding a stack of invitations. And God is positioning you in places to hand those invitations to people around you. When she hears this, I guess the shame rises up in her heart, this, this feeling of um, inadequacy. Like, how could he ask me this? And she, she says, how can you, being a Jew, speak to me, a Samaritan woman? In other words, the shame is rising up in her heart, and she's saying, how can this be? This is too good to be true. This is more than I could imagine. This is more than I could imagine. Jesus immediately goes on, and he says this to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Gosh, we've been talking about water all the, time, all the service. And must, God is saying something to us. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You know, something I love about Jesus is that he absolutely knew who he was. He absolutely knew who he was. He wasn't mistaken. He wasn't like living half in one world, half in another world. He was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. He was um, someone completely empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he was living it. But how's that for just brazen boldness? He says, if you knew the gift of God, what's he saying? You know, that's what he's saying. Like, if you knew the gift of God, I mean, how, if a guy came up to you with a marriage proposal and said, if you knew the gift of God, you know, I'm like, I mean, I was, what? And that's a bit freaky. But he has Jesus standing before him and saying, he didn't have that attitude, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who it, wa who it was standing in front of you, you would have asked for so much more. But that boldness that Jesus had in his own identity, it thrills me. Because you know what? Naturally speaking, he didn't really have a basis to stand on for that kind of boldness. He was conceived by a single mom. And I promise you, the community he grew up in could count to nine. I promise you. And some of you aren't smiling, so you don't know what I've got. We are pregnant for nine months. So knowing when he was born, they could count back nine months. And they knew something fishy was going on. In a community where it was so important to be married. 
he grew up with a stigma as the, you know, Mary's son, <laughs> who was only born five months after they got married, wink, wink. Here's a wild thing. His dad, his dad didn't want to marry his mom. An angel had to come and make him do it. Now really, imagine growing up in a marriage like that. And I'm sure Joseph appropriated the presence of God and made the best of it. But you know what? That's freaky. To marry a woman who says she's impregnated by God. You know what I'm saying? He had to have an angel. You know, you, we read the Bible through religious eyes. These were real people wrestling with real problems. Yeah. You know, I bet every time Mary walked out and, you know, looked at a man uh, with kind of a smile on her face, he's going, oh, I wonder if, you know, I wonder if that God thing was really true. You know, I, I, he's a human being. These things ran through his mind. The first time Jesus turned all the stones in the yard into bread, he was, he was fine. He, he got over his stuff. <laughs> Hello, guys. Are you all here? The first time Jesus turned all the stones in the yard to bread, Jacob got over his issues. I mean, Joseph got over his issues. So, so Jesus didn't grow up with like this beautiful slate, clean, you know, squeaky clean, the good guy in the block. You know what I'm saying? Listen, when he was born, in the town where he was born, all the children his age died, were killed because of his birth. I mean, if you had been a mother whose child was killed because Jesus was born, what would you feel about Jesus like in the first five years of his life? You're going to feel that level of irritation. And that's putting it mildly. Growing up, he wasn't the son of a senator. He wasn't the son of a movie star. He was the son of a carpenter. His best friends were not university graduates. They were fishermen. Tax collectors and the occasional prostitute. <laughs> These were his best friends. If there was anyone who had something to feel ashamed about, it was Jesus. And yet here is the glory of this, that he was able to shrug off all the words and the labels and the messages in his mind, and he was able to dig into his relationship with his heavenly father and stand before a woman and say, if you knew the gift of God. And as we walk through life, I know some bad things have happened to you. There are probably some, that when you greet the people in church, there are probably some things you don't tell them about yourself. You know, it's like, that's for, that's for other conversations. So I bet you, if you had to examine your life, you would find things to be ashamed about. And yet Jesus walks before us a beautiful path saying, listen, if anyone had something to be ashamed about, I did, naturally speaking. And yet I found in my relationship with Father a voice that continuously spoke into my heart. You're my son. You belong. You're the creator of the world. God doesn't say that to you, but he said it to Jesus. 
God says other things to you. You're my daughter. You're my son. You belong. You have a destiny. My power flows through you. There is favor around you like a shield. You're beautiful. You're strong. You have what it takes. His voice is saying these to you. And we have to find, like Jesus did, that place where that matters and that creates our internal world so that we can stand before people. You know, I am convinced of this. The main reason Christians don't witness to the people around them is because they feel ashamed. They feel like, who am I? Like that Samaritan woman, who am I to speak to that person? Who am I? What do I have that they would want? If they knew how much I'd messed up, would they listen to me? I am telling you now that inside of you, you are carrying the presence of the mighty God and you can stand before someone and say, if you knew the gift of God that was before you, not you, but who you carry. The woman goes on and she's, she's really wrestling with this. She's really wrestling with this because she kind of, she kind of um, there's a gift. There you go, have a gift. She's really wrestling with this, and she goes on and says, well, are you greater than, uh, than our, our father Jacob? I mean, who are you? And Jesus kind of ignores her and says this, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This woman has had five husbands and the one she's now living with is not her husband. In a society where unmarried women were not only second-class citizens, they were third, fourth, fifth, sixth-class citizens. Divorce was almost unheard of. To have done it five times is just, you know, I, it's almost unbelievable. I mean, it's unbelievable in our society. Back then, it was crazy. Have you ever wondered how those five relationships went? I mean, did one of her husbands beat her? Was she unfaithful? Was he unfaithful? Did one of them die? Did a number of them die? Were they happy? Unlikely. But you know, as we go through life, We are affected by our own sin. We are affected by our own mistakes. But you know, we're also affected by other people's mistakes. You know, I bet you you wear the scars of conversations that have been painful. You wear the scars of rejection. You wear the scars of abandonment. You wear the scars of just abuse, some of you. You wear the shame of failure. You, you, you've, you've experienced all of these things. And you know what it does in all of our lives? It creates a thirst. It creates a thirst. When 
when God created you, it talks about it in Genesis that he, he created you and then it says he breathed the breath of life into you and you became a human being. What does that mean? It means that to be fully human, you are a physical entity into whom the breath of God has been breathed. The word for breath there is the word for spirit. So in other words, to be fully human, you are a physical being inhabited by the spirit of God. That means when you are not inhabited by the presence of God, you are less than human. And I want to propose to you that every human being separated from God is thirsty for the return of God's presence to their life. And they will interpret this thirst as all kinds of things. They will interpret it as a need for another relationship. They will interpret it as need for more money. They will interpret it as a need for their children to be perfect. They will interpret it as a need for more education. They will interpret it as, as many different things. And they will run after them and they will drink of those wells and they will find them wanting. They will find the thirst remaining. And I hear the Spirit of God saying to each and every one of you, you have the living water they need. The thirst that they have is for what you carry. The thirst that they have is for what you carry. So Jesus talked about the fact that we would drink and we would never thirst again. How many of you feel longings in your heart? And I think to some degree, he's basically telling that woman that if you, if you follow me, if you become one of my disciples, you will never thirst for anything. He's not talking about literal thirst. He will say you will be completely satisfied 24-7. How many of you feel completely satisfied 24-7? Please raise your hand because I want you to pray for me. <laughs> we don't feel satisfied 24-7. We still thirst. We still feel empty at times. We still want more. We still feel dissatisfied with what we have. Why? Because although the presence of God has been offered to us, we don't know how to drink of it. So how do we drink? First of all, we surrender our right to be in charge. Galatians 2.20, Paul said this, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live, I live in faith. By faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. You know what? The biggest, the biggest problem with human beings is that they try to be in charge of their lives. The biggest problem with human beings is that we try to be successful by ourselves. The biggest problem with human beings is that we try to be good people apart from God. You can't do it because without the Spirit of God inside of you, you are less than human. You are incapable of meeting the mark. You're incapable of being who you're meant to be. You're incapable of being what God created you to be. So the only way to do it is to stand and admit that without God, I can't do it. The only way to do it is to say, God, you're in charge. Show me, lead me, guide me. I trust that you're good enough to make my life successful. So therefore, I surrender the governance of my life to you. I acknowledge Jesus as my Lord and Savior. 
And we've all done that one time or another, but you know what? We need to do it on multiple times multi in every day. It's like there are these tiny little decisions day in and day out about who's in charge, who leads, and who follows. And very often we're running after stuff and we're saying, Jesus, come this way, come this way. <laughs> Make my job work. Make this relationship work. Lord, I'm, I'm really, I'm doing everything I can for you. Why aren't you keeping up? <laughs> but, but the truth is, we have to turn the tables around. It's not about Jesus following you. It's about us following Jesus. It's like, Jesus, where are you going? How can I follow you? How can I be there? What are you saying for my life? What are you asking me to do? What is your plan for this situation? How can I cooperate with you in this environment? Then we can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then you know what? So many Christians are trying to live a spiritual life and they just don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Or they have him living inside of them, but they're just not filled with him and empowered by him. As a second experience, after being born again, fire, get someone to pray for you, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Allow the gifts of the Spirit to be a part of your life. Next of all, live aware of God. In other words, in every moment, be saying, God, you're with me, so what are you doing? And not just aware of God, but live aware of His goodness. Live aware of the fact that right now he is blessing you. He's not waiting until, you know, you get it all together, until you pass that degree, until you have the right job, until you're married, until you, you know, you can, I don't know, say your ABCs. He's not waiting for those things to happen for him to be good to you. He's good to you now. In every moment you can say, God, not only that you're with me, but Lord, how are you being good now? You know, I... I've, I know I've shared this very often, but as a young mother, I used to really battle with overreacting to my children's minor issues. You know, one of my children left their shoes in the garden, and I would be, oh, how could you do that? You know how much that costs? Da -da. I mean, just a complete overreaction. Let's just go out in the garden and get the shoe. You know, it's not it's no big deal. And if I have to examine my problem, it was that I really thought it was up to me to raise good children. Really, I really thought I had to do this and I had to present these perfect children to God. And in essence, I, I now know that, gosh, that was just idolatry. I mean, who did I think I was that I could possibly do that? The point of it was that I was supposed to cooperate with God to raise those children His way. And so I could s sit there with the shoe out in the garden, Lord, what are you saying about this? It's okay. <laughs> Just go fetch the shoe, would have been God's response to me. <laughs> Get over your problems, Carol. <laughs> but you know, it would have just... You know, just cooperating with him, feeling his love and his goodness in every moment of the day would have made all the difference. And if my children were here, they would be saying amen to that. But how about slow down to be delighted? I love Psalm 36 verse 8. It says this. He gives us drinks. He gives us drink from his river of delights. It sounds like some kind of a fantasy movie, movie like the quest to find the river of delight. 
And when I find it, drink of it. You know, I can just see the game on my computer screen. <laughs> Battling giants, finding jewels, doing this quest, finally getting to this river, and then my life, you know, that little bar on the side with your level of life jumps up to the top. But God, God's saying so much more than anything you can get in any fantasy game is that there's actually a place in God that you can drink and you can be delighted. You know what? I, I feel like this. No matter what's happening, you can actually be happy. It, basically, that's what it's saying, that you can live happy. You know, I, just, I determined one day I'm just, I'm just going to be a happy person. You know, if God is really true, I can just be a happy person. The future is not my problem. I'm going to just live today the best I can, and I'm going to enjoy every moment. And what it did is it allowed me to slow down and just notice the great things that were happening around me. It allowed me to slow down and notice when my child handed me a, like a, a, a yellow and blue blotch and told me, this is you, mommy. <laughs> it enabled me to notice the joy of that. You know, when my husband smiled at me, it allowed me to notice the joy of that and feel the goodness of God in that. To feel it nourishing my soul and, and creating joy in me. So, This woman finally says, yes, you will have this drink, please. He's, you finally convince me. And Jesus says one last thing to me, to her. Go call your husband and come here. <laughs> Jesus is so sneaky. So sneaky. You know, he's not, say, he's not asking you to call her husband. He's asking her, how much of your life are you going to make real to me? How, ma how, how honest are you actually going to be with me? Of course he knows how many husbands she has and what has transpired. He's, he's saying, I'm, I'm giving you an opportunity to come clean. She says, I don't have a husband. Which, she's had five husbands and the one she's living with now is not her husband. When she says, I don't have a husband, that's a little bit of the truth. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's one step towards being honest. It's not like honesty. But what I love about Jesus is that she takes one step, he takes a hundred. But the thing I didn't put on the ch chart there is that you'll never drink of his life without being honest. About really saying, this is where I am. These are my problems. Here they are, Lord. And the, the, the entry into her receiving this great blessing of his presence, really, which is what he was offering to her, the Holy Spirit, is that she had to acknowledge that her life wasn't all together and that she needed him. You know, I think sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, like an elephant trying to hide himself in a tree, we think that our stuff isn't showing. You know, we spend a lot of time trying to stuff our issues away. You're not fooling your neighbors, and you're not fooling God. 
So my advice is let's just come clean and do this. Let's just come clean and drink it. Drink of his presence. And in light of this message that we're talking about, bless the city, I just also need to tell you that the people around you, even though they're presenting a strong front to you, the truth is they've got stuff stuffed away. And if you will listen to, his, to the Holy Spirit, you will be able to ask the right questions. And you'll be able to bring them to the place where they will be able to re be real with you. And you'll be able to offer them this life-giving water that is Jesus Christ. What ended up happening is then she had this long discourse about him, with him about worship that we're going to skip right over. But what ends up happening is the disciples come back with food and offer him food. And he said, I have food that you know not of. My, my food is to do the will of my father and to complete the mission. Is basically what he says. After he's spoken to this woman, the Bible says, she went back into the town and told everyone, come and meet this man who told me everything about me. Which is also a little bit of an exaggeration, you know. But he told her the important things about her. So he's standing with his disciples and they are worrying about food. And then, you know, Jesus' sense of drama is magnificent. As they are talking about all this stuff, who's going to eat what, you know, whether they like the cheese, if that was the right bread that they bought, you know, just quibbling about these minor details, Jesus is standing there and he says this magnificent statement. Do not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. When he said that, look, he was pointing somewhere. Because at that moment, the Samaritan woman was walking back from the town with the entire town. The Bible says she brought the entire town to Jesus. At that moment, he's saying to his disciples, you're worrying about food. Look, the harvest is white. Don't say in four months' time we'll do this or later we'll do this. When we get our lives together, when we've had lunch, when we've done this, Look, there are people around you right now that when you share what you have with them, entire towns will be walking over the horizon into the kingdom. Look, don't say four months until the harvest. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The fields are white for harvest. I hear the Spirit of the Lord saying to each of you, don't say four months and then the harvest. I don't know where you are with the Lord. You might say this, gosh, I need myself to get right with the Lord. You know, I don't know about telling someone else about Jesus. I just need to get my own stuff sorted. And then I'm going to say this to you. Amen. Let's get your stuff sorted today. Let's, like that Samaritan woman, come to Jesus and let's, let's drink of that well. Let's surrender to him. Let's give him your life. Make the changes. Sit before him. Be honest with him. And then go back to your town and tell them about this man who told you everything about your life. Don't let it stop there. 
And for those of you who are relatively sorted, as sorted as we will be down here on earth, his statement to you is, don't say four months and then the harvest. Right now, there are people around you ready to hear the message that you carry. I traveled to um, Peter Maritzburg and then to uh, George, thank you, Mike, to George, this last week. And, you know, every time I was on the plane, someone sat next to me that as I just started chatting to them, I mean, I didn't start with, do you know Jesus? Is your life right? Where would you go to if you were to die tonight? If this plane were not to make it, what would happen? I mean, I didn't lead with that. Do you understand? It <laughs> doesn't really get the best results. I led with, hi, my name's Carol. Nice to be sitting next to you. What do you do for a living? And then I just, I just asked the Lord to give me an in somewhere. And every time there was this, the conversation would go somewhere. And as soon as I could, as the conversation began, I, I mentioned something about Jesus or the church. Because the minute you establish a, a spiritual foundation to, the ch to your conversation, it's easier to go somewhere with it. And every single one of those conversations ended with me telling some part of my testimony of what God had done for me. And ended up with me inviting them to church. Every single one of them. And you know what? And they liked me at the end. <laughs> I know. It's so great. Every single one of them at some stage, I, as we were talking, I just asked God, God, what do you feel about this person? If this were the Samaritan woman, what would you want to say to her? And every time something came to mind. And I said, you know, I just feel like God wants to tell you that you're a great mom. Or that he has your future in the palm of his hand. That you can trust him. And just some little things came to mind. They weren't pr profound. They weren't Bible verses. They weren't, didn't, no one on the plane applauded. <laughs> but I want to invite you into this adventure. Because the harvest is ripe around you right now. There are people that God has positioned He's already working in their hearts. He's made them unhappy with their lives. They are thirsty. And they're just, they've tried a myriad of things and they have not worked out. And they're just saying, when will someone tell me how to get out of this? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great goodness. Thank you that you are, you are faithful and you are true, Lord God. Thank you that you have a plan for our futures, Lord. Lord God, I thank you, Lord, that as we go and we bless people with words, that we listen to the Holy Spirit, that we eat with someone, we serve with love, and we, we share our stories, Lord. That, Father God, you are bringing hundreds and thousands of people into the kingdom, Lord God. We just, we just acknowledge that, Lord. And Father God, I just want to right now break shame of every person, Lord God. Father God, I don't want any person to go away feeling like I'm less than I could be because I haven't shared with someone or I haven't done that. And right now, I want you to just brush that off you. There is no shame in the kingdom. But Father God, I ask for each and every person here that Father, you would, you would set them free to experience the delight that drinking of you brings. 
that daily they would find just life and sustenance and blessing, that they would find themselves stronger, happier, more secure on a daily basis. And Lord God, that you would lead them to speak to their neighbors, to share with people in a way that the life they carry becomes evident to those people. Thank you, Father. I'm going to ask you that if you feel like you have, you know someone that you are believing that they will come to know the Lord. They're walking either far away from the Lord or they're close, but they just haven't made that step. If you know someone like that, won't you stand up? And I want to pray for you for supernatural words, supernatural actions. If you know someone in your workplace who needs to know the Lord, or if you know someone in your family that needs to come to know the Lord, or if you know someone of your friends that needs to come and know the Lord, and if you don't know anyone, I'm going to pray that you, God will bring someone to you. <laughs> So, Father, I want to pray for each person here. Right now, can you just drink of his presence? That means, can you just acknowledge that he is Lord and Savior? Can you invite him to fill you? Thank you, Lord. Would you just drink of his presence? Would you just believe that he loves you? going to ask you to just in that place of fullness I want you to just ask the Lord to give you an opportunity to follow him in this relationship and speak or do something that will bring this person into the kingdom thank you Lord thank you Lord Lord God I just pray for every one of these people standing and I ask that you would give them opportunity and wisdom as they share their lives with these people around them and that you would give them the ability to bring or lead or walk with these people into your presence that you would give them the capacity to bring these people to Jesus thank you Father thank you Father thank you Father and all of God's people said Amen can we give the Lord a hand thank you Lord